It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This is Access Atlanta. Every week, we share some of the best places to eat, play, and live out loud in the ATL. And, of course, we go behind the scenes and find the stories that show Atlanta is one of a kind. Welcome to Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. We've changed the way we do our podcast. That means we're recording it remotely from our homes, but we've also changed what we're talking about in the podcast, since we've always prided ourselves on providing guidance on things to do in and around Atlanta, and because most venues, theaters, and attractions are closed, we're going indoors, and in some cases where it's practical, outdoors to places where it's easy to practice social distancing. When he isn't on stage with the Rolling Stones or working on albums with John Mayer or the Almond Betts Band, Chuck Lavelle isn't a rock star, even though his enviable silver mane and crinkled-eyed smile always presents an aura of understated cool. Recently, the AJC's Melissa Ruggieri paid a visit to Lavelle and got a glimpse of his dual life as a rock keyboardist and a tree farmer, which is also explored in the new documentary, The Tree Man. Melissa is here to bring us that interview. Welcome, Melissa. Hi, Shane. So uh, this is this is definitely not the first time you've uh, interviewed Chuck Lavelle, but uh, but he's probably there's probably a lot of new interesting things to talk about. Yeah, that's the thing. I've talked to Chuck at least two dozen times over the years at various events. You know, he got back together with Sea Level for a short tour that played Chastain a few years ago. He was at the Captain Planet, received an award for his environmental work last December. And, you know, I I did a mic check on him earlier this year. So we always have little reasons to catch up with each other. And actually, last summer, I was in Chicago. It just happened to be the same weekend that the Stones were kicking off their postponed tour. And I was able to get in touch with Chuck and he was kind enough to invite us to this little pre-show gathering because we already had tickets to the show to, you know, to come by. So, so, I mean, so Chuck and I have always had a a really nice relationship, but I never really had the opportunity to do this more in-depth type of feature. And as I would, you know, learn more about him over the years, because, you know, to be perfectly honest, before, before I moved to Atlanta 10 years ago and, and, you know, was covering music here, I can't say that I was an expert in Southern rock history because that just wasn't something that I ever had a reason to really yeah. have to cover before. So, you know, when I learned about Chuck's background with the Allman Brothers and, you know, all the other bands that he's played in over the years and all the other songs, and then... You know, also, I would, when I would do other interviews, you know, I did a story on Brandon Bush last year and, you know, he brought up Chuck because Brandon was in train and mentioned, you know, Chuck playing on Drops of Jupiter. And I would talk to Chris Robinson from the Black Crows and he would mention, oh, yeah. And then Chuck Lavelle, you know, played on Shake Your Moneymaker. And I would just always hear his name associated with so many things. So when this documentary finally got a release date, because he had mentioned this to me over the years, too, that they were working on this documentary for the past three-ish, three and a half years. I thought, you know, this is really an opportune time to not only tell people about the documentary, but to also tell people about this whole other life that he has as a as a tree farmer because it's right. such a it's such a weird duality and I don't think that maybe the average fan of his music and his musicianship know that he's got this other life. So, you know, it it, it just really presented itself as the perfect storm of everything happening and just thought, you know, let me give him a call, see if he would mind if, if I and uh, Ryan Horn, our videographer came out there because I figured, you know, it was outside. It's 4,000 acres. We could easily social distance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the other bad thing about right now is that it, it's a little more challenging to do a lot of interviews that you might want to do in person. Yeah. But 
with something like this, I, I I would have to be there. I mean, like I said, I've talked to Chuck a hundred times, you know, on the phone or a quick little, hey, how you doing at, at shows or whatever. But to do this, you need to sit down with somebody and actually see the see the stuff in person. Right. Right. And I mean, you know, it's with this documentary focusing on on his life as the tree farmer guy. And, you know, the the other part, I mean, most people, most average you know music fans may not even know who he is but they certainly mm-hmm. all know something he's been on that's the thing too is and and honestly the first time i met him probably in 2011 i forgot what the reason was his publicist called and said you know chuck lavelle is going to be in atlanta oh he was he was coming into town to do something at the mother nature network which i talk about in the story was the site that he started with joel babbitt that actually just just was sold earlier this year and combined with a, with a tree hugger site was part of his environmental stuff. So mother nature network doesn't exist anymore. But I remember at that time, you know, when his publicist said, you know, Chuck's going to be in town, would you like to, you know, meet at Starbucks or something? I had that moment of Chuck Lavelle, Chuck Lavelle, Chuck Lavelle. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I know this guy and I know he, like I knew him, his affiliation with the stones. And then, yeah, when you start looking at all of the songs that he's played on and that's, what's really cool about the documentary too is when I talked to the director, Alan Farst, we kind of joked about how his challenge in doing the documentary was sort of my challenge in writing the story and that there are these three facets to Chuck. You know, I mean, there's his music life, there's his environmental life, and he he's very um, open about wanting to talk about his marriage to Rose Lane for 47 years. I mean, he's very proud of the fact that they've been married that long and have this wonderful life together and she travels with him everywhere. And and it's, you know, that, that is an anomaly in yeah. <laughs> rock and roll yeah. for sure, too. And and, you know, Alan said, you know, just having to stitch all that together in a coherent way and in this documentary, which, by the way, it opened in theaters earlier this month, earlier in November for about a week. It played nationally. But, of course, not many people are going to movie theaters right now. And it's also yeah. been in a bunch of film festivals and stuff. But it is coming out on video on demand on December 1st. And I really it's such a fascinating look at his life because they've got they interviewed Chuck went to about 80 of his contemporaries and I'm talking people like Eric Clapton and David Gilmore, who, by the way, also a tree farmer, as we learned in this documentary, (laughs) somebody else you wouldn't have thought of, you know, John Mayer, Paul Schaefer, Bonnie Raitt. I mean, just tons of huge names that he's worked with over the years. And Chuck went to them to say like, hey, would you mind being part of this? And, you know, he said he was kind of sheepish about doing it, but he said, Every single one of them said absolutely that not a single person was like, yeah, I'm busy. <laughs> Sorry, right. Chuck. You know, And not every single one of those is in the documentary because it would be like four, four hours long. But, <laughs> yeah. but many of them are. And just to hear their testaments to Chuck as not only a musician, but as a human being. I mean, because it really comes across when you talk to him. So I went out to the tree farm with our videographer, Tyson Horn, who took some really amazing video of everything there you really get a sense of of who Chuck is as a person and his values and his genuine southernness too. He's from Alabama, but he's lived in Georgia, you know, a good chunk of his I mean really his whole adult life. And that coupled with the the tree side and the environment side and how much he genuinely cares about sustainability and you know, this is this is a lifestyle for him. And somebody else I talked to in the story from UGA, from their, their forestry department, who's also friends with Chuck, said, you know, the thing that makes Chuck a little bit different is that he actually lives on this land. And he's not just the absentee tree farm owner. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's up at the crack of dawn every day and out there, you know, cutting down trees and doing whatever he needs to do to, to make sure the, the land is taken care of properly. And one thing that we talk about a lot in the story and also obviously explored in the documentary is the, the the two lives that he leads, you know, it is kind of, and it was always sort of fascinating to me that he would be on stage with the stones in front of 40,000 people in Tokyo. And then, you know, a week later, he's back on this 4,000 acre yeah. farm in yeah. Fuller, Georgia. <laughs> you know? And, and, and he loves that dichotomy. I mean, he, you know, he said it grounds him, it gives him peace. It, it And I could see it. I mean, being out there, it's so serene that the day that we were there, I mean, I think all you could really hear besides the dogs barking or the horses in the barn were just wind chimes and birds chirping. And even though I'd probably get a little bored after a few months of that, it's something, you know, I could see coming home to that after the the chaos of touring and all the electricity that goes along with that to, to, to have, you know, that sanctuary to come back to is very, you know, that's, that's a pretty special thing. So, I mean, he's, you know, he's had a really interesting life and he lives a very interesting life. Yeah. 
Well, that's awesome. So you've done a story that's going to be coming out uh, this Sunday, which uh, I'm trying to think what the date is. But, November 29th. The story, November the story will 29th. be November 29th in our Sunday Living and Arts section. Yes, yes. So so make sure to check that out in addition to uh, uh, what you'll hear here today, our interview, and, and there will be video as well, as you mentioned. Yes, you go online. If you go to the the Atlanta Music blog now, the, the story is posted with Tyson's video, which I think is just fabulous. And also the video also includes some clips from the trailer from the documentary. So you also get a little bit of a sense of what's in that if you decide you want to check it out on December 1st when it's available. Awesome. Well, that's great. Well, thanks so much for bringing this story to us, Melissa. We appreciate it. In all honesty, it's like, you know, you go from, you know, playing for tens of thousands of people in stadiums and then you and then your other life is is here. Do you really I mean, do you really like this? Do you really like this the solitude? Because as much as as gorgeous as it is, I think I would probably get a little bored after a couple of weeks of it. Uh, do I like it? No, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I absolutely, absolutely love it. It it's, helps keep me sane. It mm-hmm. helps keep me grounded. Helps keep uh, priorities in order. Um, it's the decompression uh, zone. It I is, guess. and it's also there's a lot of physical work to be done out here. And yeah, that, that helps keep me in shape, uh, and <clears throat> so it's a blessing, you know, to to get off that road and. Instead of hearing the sound of traffic and the sound of, uh, you know, well, God bless them, screaming fans, that's a great thing. (laughs) But uh, there's all that electric atmosphere that happens when you're touring, as Mm -hmm. we know. And when you get off of that and you come here and hear the sound of the wind in the pines and crunch of leaves under foot, uh, that's a good thing. And some birds. I mean, just I was at the door and, you know, I just was standing there for a minute or two and... I just turned really quickly because I heard something. I was like, what was that? Oh, <laughs> those yeah. are birds. Not that I don't know what they sound like, but they had an interesting sound that I don't always hear. I don't yeah. know what kind of birds live around here, but... Um, All kinds. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, yeah, it's just not something that you're going to hear. You know, it's just a different, totally different kind of, of yeah. lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and uh, as I say, it's just a blessing yeah. to, to be able to have that... You know, 180 degree difference. Right, and then also, you know, your life on the road is hotels and yeah. buses, and you know, go here, go there, get on the plane, get off the plane, and and yeah. So how how long have you guys been here again? Uh, 81. Wow. Yeah. That is a long time. Well, I'm yeah. I'm, a, I'm a long termer. Yeah. <laughs> I was born in this house. You were. Oh, I didn't realize that too. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was born. Right? Okay. Not. In the house, but, but no, her was, grandmother lived here when right. she was born, yes. I was born in that back bedroom. Back but you, I mean, on this... Honey, you were born in Macon, and, and <laughs> you, know, you know that. You were born in Macon in the hospital. Well, that didn't count. <laughs> <laughs> but your family, I mean, like, you know, this was your grandmother's house. Yeah. I mean, this was yeah. your this was your family lore, you yeah. know. Yeah. Were you, you know, did you used to come here when, when you first were dating? Yeah, and when we... First decided to get married, and Rosalind said, well, you need to come meet the family. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> she had not told me anything about them, actually. You know, we had not, not really had a discussion about it. And right. I said, well, yeah, I, I want to come meet the family. I knew that they were nearby, you know. Sure. Not so far from Macon. And were you living in Macon at the we time? We were, when, yeah. When you yeah. met? Yeah. Rosalind was working at Capitol. Yeah, which I learned. I did not know that either. <laughs> and, and I was the only person working there. Well, there was one of the ones. Yeah, I was gonna say there was the, and, yeah. And, uh, there was a staff of people that worked, but we had uh, decided to get married. We, mm-hmm. you know, um, probably within six months of, of dating, <laughs> and um, she said, "Meet the family." Uh, turned out that they were all farmers, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a funny little story that uh, a relative that we call Baby Joe, uh, who was, you know. A big guy. Yeah, and, right. <laughs> Nothing and, baby about it. Yeah. <clears throat> baby Joe told me a story. He said, you know, Chuck, when uh, you came out here for the first time, Mr. Al, that's Rosalind's daddy, Mr. Al got all the boys together and said, you know, Rosalind's bringing his boy out here. And, <laughs> and he's a musician. He's a little different. He <laughs> right. plays in a band, but right. it's not a country band. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got long hair. Right? And, yeah, <laughs> and a beard. And, uh-huh. You know, but uh, he's, he said... But apparently they're getting pretty tight, so I don't want y'all making fun of it. 
be nice. It was the, the yeah, yeah. We have that on the Italian side in, in, some, yeah. in a similar way to yeah. like, don't beat him up until you know yeah. unless he's a really a jerk. Yeah. But, uh, so they, did that go well? Did that... the, it, it did. Yeah. And uh, the truth is they welcomed me with open arms completely. And, you know, they immediately said, hey, when you have time, come out here. We'd love to show you around. They did show me around. Mm-hmm. And, you know, through that process of coming here on weekends and uh, holidays and such, uh, I I got it. You right. Know, I got their ethic of stewardship and, mm-hmm. and the ethic of hard work that mm-hmm. it takes to uh, be a farmer. Uh, they grow crop. They ca- have cattle. Uh, they tended uh, timberland as well. So it was really through Roselaine's family that you got involved in That's all this. Correct. Because, Roselaine, were you doing this type of stuff growing mm-hmm. up? Yeah. Like I said, I was born here. <laughs> <laughs> Figuratively. <laughs> yeah, definitely. If I can show you some little girlfriend things that, that, you know, I'm not going to get the pictures out and everything, but, you know. But, I mean, but that's really, that's really an interesting dynamic that, you know, this was not something that you probably, I mean, you know, I, I know you, I know you're from Alabama, so probably, you know, farm farming is not totally foreign, but you were a musician, you know, you, you were Playing, you know. Well, that's right. I mean, the only other connection was being a child of the 60s and, mm-hmm. and seeing times change. We had all that pollution going on in mm-hmm. the 60s before they started the EPA in mm-hmm. the early 70s. And uh, all of us that were young at the time were saying, wait a minute, what's wrong with our world? You know, mm-hmm. this, this isn't good. And so, you know, we revered the outdoors and we saw that there were challenges and Right. Problems that we had to solve. And then, uh, so that was kind of always on my mind and being discussed with my peers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but th- there was no direct engagement uh, with. You didn't really have an opportunity, right. probably, at the time. That's right. Yeah. And so yeah. it was a matter of years. You know, we were married in 73, mm-hmm. and Rosalind's grandmother passed away in 81. Mm-hmm. So during those years was when we would come out and. Uh, I would kind of learn more every time I came. Complete learning process yeah. to, uh, to go through. But then all of a sudden, boom, 81, grandmother dies. It's it's on our shoulders. Yeah. And that was a huge change. Yeah. And we knew family land want, had to keep it, want to keep it. Right. Uh, there were lots of challenges. Uh, back then, the state tax laws were a lot different mm. and mm-hmm. not in favor. Uh, you know, I mm-hmm. used to tell people that, we didn't inherit anything that the <laughs> U.S. government inherited our land. And we got to buy it back from them, right? <clears throat> which is pretty much what happened. But we did. We got through that. And well, did did you always sort of know that when Grandma died, that this was going to be yes become well, yours? Because and- Rosalind's father unfortunately passed away. Uh, it would have gone to him. But he, he passed away about six months after we were married. Oh, okay. And, okay. Uh, so. It went to Rose Lane and mm-hmm. her brother, mm-hmm. <clears throat> who has the property that you pass by mm-hmm. when you got off the interstate. Okay. And uh, so we knew it would come one day, but, you know, you don't really think about it. Right. It, it, it wasn't something. Well, plus you were a little busy through that decade. Too. Hello, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the almonds were kind of popular in the mid-70s. <laughs> but the then the decision became, well... What do you do with it? You know, mm-hmm. how do you treat it? Because it was diversified. They did have cattle, and there was row cropping going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, those things were going to be too much of a day to day for me mm-hmm. to pursue my musical career. So, sure, you know, we looked into pecan trees, uh, peach trees, uh, nursery stock, all kinds of options. And uh, one day, Roseline's brother. Uh, here at, at the breakfast table said, you know, if you're not going to plant uh, that 50-acre field down the road and a crop, you might put trees on it. Uh, boom, kind of a light night yeah. bulb went off in my head. And and that's when I started to th- realize the connection of music and wood, you know, from the hmm. instruments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it became, mm-hmm. you know, that, that gave me something to think about mm-hmm. and gave me purpose to say, hey, that's a good thing to do. You know, it's long-term, uh, sustainable forestry, and, and then you began to learn to think about all the other things that uh, wood gives us. I mean, look at this yeah. room. This All this wood in this room came from this place. And in the documentary, 
Is that that's the kitchen, right? Because yeah. was this was um, wh where was the wall that was knocked? Down? Was it this, uh, is it this it part was, or the other it part? It was over there, about fifteen feet. Okay. And, okay. Uh, so so this whole thing, the wood is from yeah. yeah. This, we we renovated this and and other parts of the house. So it all came from the trees on the land. Yes. Yeah. All the, and uh, if you look closely, you'll see some what we call blue streak, uh, and and that indicates hmm. trees that have, that were dead. So you hmm. know, I'm constantly going around here looking if lightning struck trees or maybe they're diseased or just naturally die. And rather than let them sit there and go to waste, I try to take them down and use the lumber for these purposes. Well, because I know you made the comment in the documentary that you hate seeing a stump. I mean, you hate seeing a dead, you know, useless. I just hate to see it go to waste. Right, you know? right. Now right. look, you want to leave some for the woodpeckers. Right, <laughs> exactly. And, and they need something to do, you know, it, it, sure. absolutely. for nature, yeah. You know, they're, they're, mm -hmm. we want to keep that thing in mm -hmm. balance too. And mm -hmm. we do have some beautiful, matter of fact, when I was on the phone before you got here, I was sitting in my office looking out and saw the most beautiful, affiliated woodpecker. Oh, wow. You know, really? Woody woodpecker. Yeah, record. like an actual, like yeah. a cartoon-based. It <laughs> flew back and forth. Really? Times. And then we had the little yellow-bellied sap suckers, the smaller ones Yeah. Well. Oh, how cool. Yeah. yeah, I've never seen a real woodpecker. Yeah. <laughs> I only know Woody. <laughs> yeah. Woody. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so that, that began the focus and was forestry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we started planting trees. We started uh, managing the trees that were already on the place that uh, Rosalind's grandparents had planted. Still from the, this is all in the 80s. Still, uh, yes, no, 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 yes. Really. It was in the 80s and throughout that decade. Yeah. Know, to all the way to the present, you know, mm -hmm. is what we've been doing. But then along the way, it was like, well, it's not just about trees and forest. It's about everything within, you know. So. Right. Uh, the uh, the wildlife came into play, and we began to manage for habitat. Mm -hmm. uh, White-tailed deer. I was going to say, yeah, what, what do you have out here? White-tailed deer, wild turkey, uh, quail, um, uh, you know, lots of, well, squirrels and sure. possums and raccoons. and Typical forest. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately coyotes and wild hogs. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we do our best to try to manage and balance all of that stuff but right. the point is that it's not just about the trees in the forest it's about everything within right what, what do you do on a regular basis here you personally sure um, up, before, <laughs> up before daylight pretty much every day you know it depends on the priority it, it could be okay I want to take a tree down or two or three trees uh, Back up one second, though, <laughs> because I know my body clock, and, you know, I'm, I'm up till 3 in the morning, and that's just how I, I operate. You know, you're going from, again, being on the road, staying up till 2, 3 a.m., whatever, and then when you come back here, how, how do you adjust to that just physically? It doesn't take long. Really? You know, yeah. Maybe a couple of days to get over the jet lag. Or yeah. The, you know, just the... The tour dust. Right, right, right. It's a good way to put it. Uh, it doesn't take me long, you know, it, especially because we've been doing this a long time. Now. Yeah. And 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 I, the shift is natural. I was going to say. So you think maybe you're naturally inclined to do that? Get up at dawn yeah. and go tend to the land type yeah. of thing. And yeah. and you know, I'm usually in bed when when we're here. I'm probably in bed by eight thirty nine. Really? If let's say I've got some dead trees I want to take down, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, the Steel, S-T-I-H-L, company is a sponsor of mine. Unfortunately, I have a lot of chainsaws. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, the video of you, you know, out there, you, you do all that yourself. I do it, you know. Aren't I mean, you ever worried? Not always by myself, but oftentimes by myself. I was looking at your hands, though. <laughs> I was getting nervous watching you do it. I mean, you don't ever worry about that just from... I don't, know. I mean, yeah. you know, I wear gloves. I'm careful. Right. I, I'm, I've been trained uh, mm -hmm. how to take trees down and safety uh, training as well. Uh, I wear the hard hat. I wear the, the goggles. Chaps, and, uh, you know. Yeah. And, and you got your gear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, definitely the earmuffs. Sure. Uh, so, th I mean, that's one scenario. Let's mm -hmm. say, so I'll go take the tree down, bucket up into logs, uh, take the tops and limbs and pile them up. And, and then, you know, let's say I get uh, eight, ten trees down. Then I have a 22-foot trailer, and uh, we'll hook that thing up. Come down with a tractor, either with forklifts or a grapple, and load those logs onto the trailer. My brother-in-law, Roselaine's brother, mm -hmm. has a uh, sawmill, small sawmill, right. about five miles from here. So right. it's, it's not 
far for me to haul those logs. Yeah. In the past, before he had it, uh, I would haul them about 20 miles down the road to another mm-hmm. sawmill. But, you know... That's we, handy to have in the it, family. <laughs> it is. And not only have we done this renovation, all of our pasture fencing mm-hmm. is uh, wood from that was dead or dying for the most part. Uh, and our lodge, which is a 5,500 uh, square foot lodge, mm-hmm. uh, is totally built out of our... Where's that? Is that here too? Is that... It's about a half a mile from here. So do you pass it coming up on the road? You don't no, pass it's, it. Okay, no, it's, it's another... hidden in the... Somewhere, yeah. yeah. But it's on this property? It's on this property. So, like, if is it just a place that you guys might go stay for a couple of nights just to, for a change of scenery, or is Well, it no, just... it's for our guests. Oh, it's, for, it's a guest house. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's for, for guests and for our clients, our sure. hunt, hunting clients, sure. the quail hunting operation mm-hmm. that we have. Uh, other possibilities would be okay uh it's the season to start planting feed plots Mm -hmm. for the wildlife so we may hook up a harrow Mm -hmm. and uh take it into the woods and and harrow up strips or small uh, plots Mm -hmm. if you will to plant grain or whatever we're going to be planting uh, for the wildlife right that's another possibility uh road work is an ongoing thing here we have lots of dirt roads so you get heavy rains they get washed out you have to go uh, tend to them, and we have the, you know, the equipment to do that with. Um, woods roads, mm-hmm. uh, we have lots of network of woods roads that need to be mowed from time to time. So that's another option, and that's something I really love doing. Is it, it's so zen like? I guess yeah, I could see that. Yeah, you know, yeah. You're, you're just humming along. Sure. Uh, and no matter what that activity is, um, a- another thing that is done from time to time is pruning mm-hmm, trees mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, where the limbs are beginning to interfere with roads or perhaps you're trying to make a, a little pocket of trees that uh, you can see up under mm-hmm. and not have them you know block the views mm-hmm. so uh, that's another physical activity and you know, taking a, a limbing saw and and pruning the trees and, and do you do i mean how many people do you have on a regular basis who assist you with the upkeep of, of everything. We, we so you have, have the manager, Neil, right? Uh, Neil is kind of number two. Uh, mm-hmm. Number one is Hal. Oh, Hal, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hal Hamilton. So mm-hmm. we have two full-time mm-hmm. and then several part-time depending on the, the time of year time and, of and year what needs to be done. Yeah. So and, it's a small staff. Yeah, it is. And, and how many acres is this again? Uh, 4,000. 4,000, okay. And not all contiguous. There's mm-hmm. about uh, 2,000 contiguous and then some outlying tracks. Okay. And you don't have, you don't do anything with animals. You don't do any raising, farming with animals. It's all, no, it's all no tree, livestock. No livestock, no. nothing. Yeah, just like well, the quails would be, I guess, the. Well, that's. But that's our, natural. That, I mean, that's. Yeah, sure. And, and uh, you know, there is some deer hunting that, that goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the quail hunting is our primary uh, income f- for the season. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, but then other activities that can certainly occur, uh, you saw on the film where we did have that about 20 acre outbreak of uh, Ips beetles. Yeah. And and so, you know, you yeah. supervise a logging crew to come in mm-hmm. and you direct them what to cut, mm-hmm. what not to cut. Mm-hmm. And then if you are going to have a proper uh, thinning operation, for instance, mm-hmm. let's, you know, it's been amazing. Oh, the, the, the controlled burn? Or the, or that's another that's activity, a, yeah. certainly. But what I was going to say is that uh, it's really interesting. We, the first trees we planted were in 1981. Mm-hmm. And to see those little seedlings become a forest wow. over time is really something special. And people say, well, yeah, but you're cutting the trees. Well, pretty good feeling to know that those trees are maybe going for to build someone's first house or sure. to renovate someone's house. So, you know, uh, there's a use for it. The trick is you do it properly and sustainably. Exactly. And, uh, that's what we're all about. So, but getting to the point of there may come a time, when, okay, this tract of, of land is ready to be thinned, mm-hmm. uh, meet with the forester, mm-hmm. let him know my thoughts about what needs to be done. Listen to his counsel and advice. Mm-hmm. And then, work with the loggers when they come in to do it, uh, mm-hmm. supervise all of that. Mm-hmm. And so th- there's all kinds of activities yeah. that I'm trying to describe sure. that, that sure. go on. Is it, you know, a five day a week type of thing for you? I mean, do you, do you, I mean, do you have to look at the schedule just like you would if you were out with the bands? 
to this is what we're going to do this week, or is it just more of again? I know the seasons make a difference and, and whatever's going on at the time. But well, certainly seasons make a difference. Yeah, uh, and it's really priorities. Uh, right. Okay. This needs to be done right. now before the weather changes. And the guys that you have, your two, your two full-time guys, yeah. they, they keep that. And, you know, they, they come up with the schedule for what needs to be done, I would assume, right? Well, or not so that... much. It's, uh, hey, boss man, what you yeah. want to do, what okay. you want us to so, do So today? you really have a lot of input into Absolutely. what, you know. Um, that's a lot to handle. I mean, just, I'm just thinking that's a lot to, to handle in addition to <laughs> your other life. Well, <laughs> Melissa, it took a long time for me to understand uh, how to manage this place properly. Sure. You know, it's a process. It wasn't, sure. a, hey, I know what I'm doing. Right. And you it's know. huge. It's not like you it's, just have a couple of trees in the backyard to deal no, with. You know? That's right. And <laughs> yeah. and it was a long process. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I'm still a student of it, okay? Sure. Uh, but somewhere, I would say, along five years after we started doing this, I began to feel pretty confident about our management practices mm-hmm. and what was going. And... The other thing I'll say about it, it's a vision thing. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, I can look at a tract of land now and say, what do I want that tract to look like mm-hmm. 30 years from now, mm-hmm. 50 years from now? What do I want my grandsons to see, right. uh, a granddaughter? And, and uh, it's an interesting process. Mm-hmm. It, it, it makes you have that long-term vision. Mm-hmm. Makes you see into the future. Mm-hmm. Teaches teaches you patience. Yeah, because it takes a long time to do this. Stuff. Nature's on its own schedule. <laughs> it's on its own schedule. Yeah. So there's all of those factors that have. Mm-hmm. When we talked about, it keeps me grounded. You know that mm-hmm. that's part of why it keeps me grounded because mm-hmm. it gives you that long term vision, mm-hmm. uh, and you don't have any choice about it. It's long term whether you like it or not. True. Have you ever found yourself on stage, just sort of you know, and maybe a hectic time maybe you know the, the the plane was late whatever that you mentally kind of come here and just absolutely <laughs> take a deep breath and yeah absolutely. i'll be back there in a few weeks <laughs> i wonder if we got some good rain this week <laughs> you know, right. in the middle of sympathy for the devil yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> <Right>. exactly <laughs> you need to give hal a call tomorrow and yeah. make sure everything's okay with the trees and the yeah. quail you know yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. um because I don't want to forget to ask you about this Mother Nature Network. Remind me, you co-founded it with with Joel. Joel, yes. Right. What is your current involvement? You're on the board. Uh, now, here's what happened: uh, the board and, and the investors and Joel uh, decided to sell the company. Okay. So when was that? This was um, earlier this year. In oh, okay. It was January, just earlier this February. year. Okay. Okay. And it was bought by a company called Dot Dash, mm-hmm. and they own a plethora of uh, websites, mm-hmm. and, and they they're very good at what they do and the way they, that they run them. And they wanted something in the environmental space. Mm. Uh, as you know, we owned uh, actually three properties: uh, Mother Nature Network, Tree Hugger, and uh, Narrative Content Group. Oh, okay. All right. So Narrative is. Basically, we learned along the way that we're very good at um, building, managing, and doing content for websites. Okay. And so we started doing work for companies on the side, outside of Mother Nature Network okay. and Tree Hugger. Now, when Dot Dash bought those two properties, they bought Tree Hugger and MNN. Right. They decided, for whatever reason, I, I still think it was probably not the best decision, but it was their decision. To incorporate the two, and they dropped M and N and just kept it as Tree Hugger. So M, so M and N doesn't exist. It does not anymore. It does not. Does the narrative. Well, so do you, do you still narrative? I, yes, we Joel and I are still partners in on that, as well as the the investors and the other board. Okay. Uh, the board for narrative. Yeah. Now, when the sale occurred, uh, the CEO of uh, Dot Dash. Mm-hmm. Uh, said, Chuck, I'd like to have lunch with you. And this is uh, when we did the Allman Brothers show the one, uh, in March, the uh, 50th anniversary oh, the, show. Oh, the garden. Pre-COVID. Yeah, right. You know, the last show. So, uh, my, my last let's, assignment. Let's the, the last show. <laughs> Our last show. Yes, exactly. Although I did go to a concert last weekend, that drive-in. Did you? Jason Isbell did one of those drive-in okay. shows. But my last show in an arena yes. <laughs> was that your was last it. show in an arena. Well, during, yeah. you know, we stayed an extra day to have lunch. Right. Because you, I remember you were going to do CNN later that day, and then the whole with Anderson, and then the whole COVID thing happened, and then I think I remember you telling me you had a, a, a 
Mother Nature yeah. needs. And so Neil said, listen, we'd really yeah. like to still have you on and involved with Tree Hugger. With so, Tree Hugger. So I am. I'm um, an ambassador consultant. For Tree Hugger. Uh, for Tree Hugger. Which is the now consolidated. Correct. MNN and Tree Hugger. And Tree Hugger. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so Tree Hugger is the company now. Right. Uh, that I am still involved in. And then there's just cool. And then there's narrative. Uh, yeah, narrative. That you're also. Yes. Involved in. Yeah. Okay. I, th- I mean, that's kind of sad, I guess, to see Mother Nature go away. Well, it, it was. I thought Joel came up with a bri- It was his idea, the, mm-hmm. the, na- the name. And, uh, but, you know, when when those guys bought us, it, it's their decision. What right. they and, and they do a lot of websites. And so they had a big meeting, a big con- consultation with like 20 or 30 people. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, asked everybody what they thought and mm-hmm. gave some options, and they all felt like Tree Hugger was the way to go. Is that based here still, Tree Hugger? Is it still in Atlanta? No, it's uh, based in New York now. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. So there's no Atlanta connection? No, some of the staff that still live in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and they work from home, basically. Sure. right. Because uh, that's the kind of job you don't need to be. Some of the writers, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. yeah. But uh, so there is, you know, at least a Georgia connection there, right, 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 and, sure, and with sure. me as well. Well, right, right. I mean, you know, and that's the other thing too. I mean, your legacy as being involved in, you know, environmental causes and sustainability is still yeah. part of that. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. You... Uh, so between that and the America's Forest TV program, mm-hmm. uh, those are my main media connections mm-hmm. uh, with with the. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. environmental space these days. Mm-hmm. I was happy to see in the documentary that they got a little bit of the planet, Captain Planet. Yeah, Captain Planet. Captain Planet, yeah, yeah. right, 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 yeah. from from December. Ted um, Turner. With yeah. Ted, yeah, yeah, because that was such a nice event. And, yeah. and you know, what what the, the logistics of the documentary, because I, I, I want to ask you more about that on video, but um, when, what was the time frame that you guys started doing? Oh, my a, goodness. Uh, I think it was... Uh, Alan may have to correct me. A couple me, of years, it, right? Oh, no. It was three and a half years. Yeah. But I, it seems to me that we, it was 2015 when we had our first discussion about it, I think. How did you find Alan? Or how did you guys find uh, each other? Alan used to manage a guitar player uh, artist up in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And he reached out to me out of the blue to work with this guy to do a session okay so uh, they flew me up I did the session got to know Alan long period of time after that I didn't have any connection at all as it happened uh, we were to play a show in Las Vegas with the Stones Mick got laryngitis and had to cancel Alan was I think on a commercial shoot perhaps so he was a photographer he was a manager a music manager but also a photographer videographer yes his main bread and butter for many years has been uh, in the commercial space, so, okay. you know, doing television commercials. So he was already uh, doing all as that. As well as NASCAR, I mean, not NASCAR, but uh, what's it? Indy 500. Oh, okay, okay. Indy 500, he's, mm-hmm. he's been the main videographer for that for mm-hmm. a long time. So anyway, as happenstance would have it, he was in Las Vegas when we had to cancel the show. Uh, he called me up and, you know, he was going to come to the show or was going to ask me about coming to the show. <laughs> right. It was no show. Right, right. And so we just had a conversation mm-hmm. and he asked me what I was doing. And I said, well, you know, we're on the early, early stages of, of thinking about a documentary. And who came, I mean, we, so you came up with the idea to do a documentary? I mean, was this something that you had been thinking, this is an interesting... Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I, I wanted it as a family document. Sure. Okay. I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's nice to have the other aspects of mm-hmm. it, but I thought to myself, Chuck, you know, you're in your 60s, mm-hmm. uh, you have four grandchildren, mm-hmm. uh, it, wouldn't it be nice to have something, something that would be here from now on for not only the grandkids, but future generations? Sure. You know, I sure. thought uh, it'd be kind of nice to have that. Yeah. So let's do it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we had already talked to a couple of other prospects to do the thing, but Alan absolutely convinced me that he wanted it. You know, the other guys were like, "Oh yeah, we can do it." Here's my idea. Another you know, like it was and, just and another by job. The way, I've got this and that, and, and Alan was like, "I'll drop everything and I'll do this." Right. You know? And I, you know, so we made the deal, and three and a half years of filming all over the world. Yeah. And 
um, he did an excellent job. I was just really, really pleased. And my concern was, well, how do you weave this together? You know, and exactly. There's three themes, as we know. We may want to do this on camera. Right. We can um, repeat it. <laughs> right. But the three themes are music, environmental, and love story. Mm -hmm. And you know, once we shot all these different things, raw, raw footage, I think he had like 80 interviews. You know, and how do you pick and choose over that? Mm -hmm. And so the editing process comes up, and mm -hmm. I said, Alan, man, wow, you know. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> can you handle <laughs> right. this? And right. He said, Chuck, it's what I do. Yeah. And I think he just did an absolutely marvelous job of weaving it all together and making it make sense. Yes, I agree. I agree. Because, yeah, I mean, because there are so many. And even, you know, thinking about writing this story, it's I'm sort of in the same position. So you go, but that's what's interesting. I mean, yeah. that, that's the thing that's interesting about you is that people don't necessarily realize that, you know, you have this other life. Like David Gilmore did not know that, you know, that was sort of like... Wow, that prickly guy? Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? Um, but with Alan, had he ever done a, a documentary, you know, a, mu a music-related documentary or no. anything like that before? So this was I, kind of a first I, for... I don't... Not that I know of. Right. I'm sure he would have mentioned. And, and I'll make sure you do have the opportunity to speak to him. Yeah, because I would you know, love to hear his... more about his own background. Sure, sure. But uh, to yeah. my knowledge, the answer is no. And, you know, having him travel with you and, and Rose Lane, you know, for a couple of years, did you just sort of get used to having the camera guy <laughs> behind yeah, you? Yeah, I didn't, you know, that didn't phase me because, look, you know, no matter what entity I've worked with, there's always cameras around. Right. And so you get used to that and it's second nature and right. it's not there, you know, and that's, right. that's the best way to handle it. Even though it's, well, this is a little more personal, though. I mean, you know, he's in your kitchen. He's, sure. But, yeah, it's different uh, than being on stage. Yeah, there, there were other... Uh, shots to be had mm -hmm. that were more personal without a doubt but yeah you know i'm comfortable i, I do the tv thing i you mm -hmm. know even when we first started mother nature network if you recall i had a, a little video program called in the green room oh did you yeah. no i don't remember that actually oh, i'm not sure i was here when mother nature started actually well uh, these were short videos that i would do like mm -hmm. i interviewed uh, usher mm -hmm. for instance i interviewed chevy chase and his cool. wife and <laughs> on and on and on. Yeah. And we, we did lots of filming. Uh, this was my son-in-law, Steve, mm -hmm. uh, was doing most of the video work for that. So, you know. So we, your third or fourth career could be as, as a TV host or. <laughs> well, and that's where I'm going with America's Forest. Yeah. I mean, no doubt. And I love doing that. Yeah. And, and I, I think this point in my life and career, that's mm -hmm. not a bad way to go. Sure. You know, sure. Uh, Rolling Stones aren't going to last forever. Well, exactly, exactly. And who knows? You know, even with the future of touring, yeah, you know, with, exactly. That, I mean, they're they're your main road band right now, and yeah. So, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. But yeah. I absolutely adore doing uh, the television mm -hmm. program. So to get to the point about the cameras, I, I was very comfortable mm -hmm. in front of all of that, uh, whether mm -hmm. you know here in the kitchen <laughs> or, or whether on stage, it, right. it, didn't, it didn't matter. Right. Uh, and, I, you know, I have to say kudos to Alan again for some of his ideas. You know, he brought that crane in to shoot the opening. Oh, yeah, you have the piano in the, yeah. it, out here, I presume. Because some of the pictures we have of you, your press photos, I guess, were taken from that same... Well, the, yes, uh, from that day. Yeah. We, we took the piano that's at my lodge, uh, and, and it... It was really in the backyard of the lodge is where we did that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we had the piano mover come and uh, take the piano outside and set it up. I was and, thinking of the logistics of that. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, like I said, Alan hired this crane and he, he had a vision for yeah. it, you know. And I thought, man, are you sure you want to do all this? But he said, I, I promise you, I think it's going to be a really great shot. Yeah, yeah. And so he had that crane at the top where you see the top of the pine trees. Mm -hmm. And then coming down and to the piano and sympathy is playing and you know it was funny when I you know I sat down to watch it and I thought you know what I'm just gonna watch this I'm, you know because it started and I'm like I was kind of captivated by that shot and I'm like I'm not gonna take notes really because you know I, I'm gonna see Chuck in a couple of days I'll remember like what I want to talk to him about <laughs> so I'm watching that opening shot and then is it is it Keith who comes on first and I was like. Oh, shit, Rolling Stone. <laughs> right, yeah. And now I have like four pages of notes from yeah. from the documentary. But yeah, that, that opening shot is so cool. And then with Sympathy in the background is, yeah. you know, it's just, yeah, it's really, well, one really of a, the, uh, a nice And again, we can talk about this on the, on the uh, camera, but when we made the deal uh, and we actually had a contract between us and Alan said, Chuck, you're going to have to make your best efforts to reach out to the, these people to get an interview. Right. 
And I, you know, oh yeah, okay. And then I started thinking, oh my God, I've got to, right. you know, have this ask of all of these right. people that hey, I John love. Mayer. <laughs> yeah, and adore. And I'm thinking, oh no, what if I, I know. And um, it was hard. Sure. You know, to, to do those outreaches. and Yeah, and you did in person. I mean, you did them, not I out. did them. Yeah, which, you know, but, coming from you would probably be a little easier anyway. And I thought, well, surely somebody's going to say, hey, man, you know, I'm sorry, I'm busy. And exactly. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't feel comfortable doing that right. for whatever reason. And I and believe me, I, I gave them the disclaimer. Sure. You know, if for any reason right. you're not comfortable, comfortable or whatever. doing this yeah. or don't have the time. But, I it certainly... but it's also nothing um, controversial, he, you know, I mean, talking about playing with you or you as a musician or whatever. But, but still, Clapton might not necessarily, <laughs> you know, want to be on video or... Yeah. But without exception, they all were That's so amazing. gracious. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I'll be forever grateful for that. Yeah. They, it's a nice lineup of people on is. there. I mean, just a, just genres, ages, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, having someone like Mayer and then having Paul Schaefer, you know, or, yeah. or Clapton. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, you got this range of, of people. Um, I was very fortunate to, that yeah. they would agree. So. You know, I, not that I expected to see them, but I was just... Because I was listening to the Billy Joel channel on Sirius driving here. Do you have you ever you know Do you know Billy or Elton well at all? I mean Elton, I know. Yeah, uh, Billy uh, never really met. Yeah. Uh, his guitar player is a good friend of mine. The Davy Davy uh, No, I don't think that was no Elton's Tommy. Um, yeah, Tommy something. Yeah, yeah. Italian Tommy. <laughs> Tommy from Tommy from Jersey. Yeah, yeah Tommy from Jersey. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, Tommy and I played together in. Um, Brian Setzer's band. Oh, really? The or like when he did the big yeah. band thing, or no, just a, just this, a regular this was way before. When, okay, when he first went solo, mm -hmm. we I played on his record. It was called "The Knife Feels Like Justice." And cool. He was kind of a Americana yeah. uh, artist at the time. He wanted to do something different from Stray Cats. You know? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But anyway, yeah. I, but Elton, I know. As a matter of fact, I'll give you a quick Elton story. He was so sweet. Uh, he came to Macon and played the. Coliseum. I was invited. Rosie and I went. Uh, got to talk to him backstage, and he was just gracious as he could be. We talked about environmental stuff. He does a lot of uh, uh, um, offsets, carbon offsets. So, oh, you yeah. Know, he'll figure out how much is my plane sure. emitting, and right. you know they spend a lot of money to plant trees to offset them. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And. Uh, so the concert begins, and about fourth, fifth song uh, is Tiny Dancer. Mm -hmm. And he says, I'd like to do this for Rosie and Chuck. And putting Rosie first. <laughs> <laughs> That's and so sweet. It was sweet. That was really sweet. Yeah, was yeah really I mean, nice. to have a song dedicated to you on stage by Elton John. Yeah, is, not, that's, not a, bad. that's a memorable moment. <laughs> that's a, a memorable very moment. gracious man. Yeah. Really well, you know, and the fact that, you know, Atlanta still means so much to him. Yeah, you know, given his you know history and where he's from and everything. I mean, you know, he doesn't have to come back here for any no. reason. But I'm, I mean, you know, as he's told the story, this is the place where he you know really got clean and yeah. went to rehab and and that really, you know, and then with the AIDS Foundation was I think it's where he started it. I, if I remember so. that too. You know, so it, it's obviously a special place for him, which Absolutely. is which is cool. Yeah. There's nothing normal about our new normal, but AJC.com is the same trusted source you've always had, and we have just as much great content, if not more. That's why each week I'll highlight my personal picks for the best things to do, see, and experience, and the stories are easy to find on AJC.com. Ariel Danielle grew up in Metro Atlanta seeing other black people day in and day out. But her art and art history lessons at the University of West Georgia almost never included black creators. She doesn't remember seeing the work of black artists on museum visits as a kid. This is why, in many ways, it's fitting that her first solo show at the Museum of Contemporary Art of Georgia, titled It Started So Simple, is a reflection of the world Danielle inhabits. The show is the culmination of Danielle's fellowship at MOCA GA as part of the Working Artist Project, which is awarded annually to three up-and-coming and established Metro Atlanta artists. Each fellow gets a solo exhibition at the end of their tenure. Danielle's show runs now through January 16th. Read more about the artist and her work in Rosalind Bentley's story on AJC.com. Since her 1993 debut, Atlanta musician Diane Durrett has performed with Sting, Greg Allman, and the Indigo Girls, 
opened for Tina Turner and Derek Trucks, and recorded in sessions with Christian Bush and producer Brendan O'Brien. Recently, Durrett, along with her longtime band, Soul Sugar, released Make America Groove, her rallying cry for unity. See Melissa Ruggieri's interview with Durrett, which is part of the ongoing Mic Check series that reveals what Atlanta musicians are doing during the pandemic. Read it on the Atlanta Music Scene blog at AJC.com. A big dose of holiday cheer sounds like the perfect way to brighten up this hectic year. But of course, the pandemic is throwing a few wrenches into your usual holiday traditions. Some major Atlanta favorites are canceled this year out of concern for virus spread. For example, the Atlanta Ballet's annual live production of The Nutcracker, Macy's Pink Pig, and Stone Mountain Snow Mountain. But no worries, the city is still decking the halls and Santa's still coming to town. Find out where you can get a dose of holiday cheer in freelancer Nina Reader's Roundup on the Things to Do page at AJC.com. The AJC's dining team continues to explore some of the best in takeout with the Atlanta Orders In feature, which you'll find in print in the living section most weekdays. One of the places they recently visited is Elsewhere Brewing, which opened in late October at the Beacon Complex in Grant Park. The inviting tap room and restaurant aims to be a comfy place to hang out and sample good beer with good food. The menu is inspired by Argentinian food and includes empanadas, grilled meats, soups, salads, sandwiches, and fresh pasta. Read up on all the places the team has visited on the Atlanta Restaurant Scene blog at AJC.com. To get the AJC delivered or to subscribe to the e-paper, go to AJC.com slash subscribe. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. Our senior editor is Nicole Smith. Podcast edited by Bria Felicien. Music by Bo Emerson and Billy Guen, And I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.